Welcome to Money Talks. This is a podcast about our relationship with money. We're not going to tell you how to get rich. We're not going to try and pick the next interest rate move. In this series, we talk to interesting New Zealanders about how money has shaped their lives and what they've learned about it through the years. With me today, I have journalist and broadcaster, Tony Street. Kia ora, Tony. Hello, it's lovely to be here. Thanks for coming. Look, great, great to have you here. I have a lot of questions here, but with... Your current role um, as, as a host DJ on, on Coast, I, I like to start by asking, do you have a favourite song about money? Um, a favourite song? Well, I, I hear the song by Ebba, Money, Money, oh, yeah. Money, yeah. a lot on Coast. It's a good tune, but probably my favourite, when I think of songs about money, uh, it would take me back to my teenage years uh, to a Beyonce song, Bill's. Oh yeah. Now I don't know if you've heard that song, but it's all about the fact that she's paying all the bills yeah. and the man needs to stand up and actually support himself too. It's quite a good one. That's quite nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. So um, this is a show about money. It's also a little bit of a, a, a life story. But um, so I, I, I like to ask, you know, what what were your first memories of having money? Do you recall having money in your hand at an early age? Yes, we weren't. I grew up on a dairy farm, so we weren't. Other kids got pocket money. We didn't get pocket money, but we had to do chores on the farm and around the house so that we could do special things. Yeah. So if we were going on a family holiday, it was um, we all need to pitch in and do our chores. So we're working towards this holiday. So I do remember that. I didn't. I don't remember having it tangibly in my hand as pocket money, but I do have a story um, which was the day I really realised the value of money, <clears throat> and I would have been maybe. 11 and we had been saving for this family holiday and I had um, you know been clocking up this this tally and it was in the bank account and I pleaded with my mum and dad I said can we please get the money out so I can see it in cash I didn't want I wanted I needed to see it and hold it in my hand so we did that and mum said oh I don't really feel comfortable about having that much cash I think it was in those days $400 which was a lot of money and so we I, I, I won out and we went to the TSB bank in Bell Block in Taranaki and we got out this cash and I put it in my billabong wallet and unfortunately that wallet was stolen Ooh. from our farm. So we had people coming in into the house wow. all the time, um, you know, tradies, people for the farm that were working on things and it got stolen. And So, so all the fears of your mum were kind of realised. They were realised, but who would have thought from the farmhouse? Yeah. And, um, and that billabong wallet was never to be seen again and it was at that moment I was so heartbroken that I had I thought I'd lost it initially and then we worked out that no I hadn't and I remember thinking oh my gosh I've just been doing all these chores and all this work for this long and it's just gone Wow. And so it was a good lesson. Yeah, I bet. I bet that stuck with you. I mean, is it sort of, do you think it sort of made you feel more cautious or, or, or um, conservative with money? Yeah, I didn't really feel the need to have the cash in my hand after that. I yeah, just, yeah. I was really upset and, and I sort of saw the value then of just having it in the bank and not having to have it in my wallet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, growing up, I guess with farming families, it's it's interesting around cash because, you know, the, the question is sort of, did your family have money growing up? Often, even with quite a lot of value in the farm, there's not a lot of cash around. Yeah, I think there is a little bit of a, um, a perception, oh, you're rich farmers. And I do remember my parents talking about that when we were younger. They assumed because you've got this big piece of land that you're loaded with cash. But day to day, we didn't have a lot of money. And mum and, ha- mum and dad had zero money when we were little because everything they had, they poured into the farm. So we were a family that 
where mum was making our clothes. Um, I remember having some neon tracksuits that mum yeah, would yeah. make for us and, you know, eating out. But in those days, I was born in the 80s, you didn't eat out a lot anyway, yeah. but it was yeah. only on your birthday. Um, you didn't buy your lunch. If you did, it was once a week and you were so lucky and you would go to the bakery. So I definitely remember it was, we didn't, you know, buying clothes like perhaps now where, you know, things are a bit cheaper and more readily available. They just weren't back then. And on a farm, we couldn't just whip to the shops either. It was it was a big trip to go into the shops, yeah, so it was yeah. a big occasion for us. And um, we lived off the home kill off the farm, so it was always you know the mints. <laughs> we we had a lot of mints. Yeah, we virtually yeah, yeah, never yeah. had chicken because we weren't chicken farmers. So yeah, it was a bit different. Yeah, that's right. I mean, so so not too much cash. Um, it sounds like yeah, not not really like regular pocket money. But w- were the things that you saved up for and and and, and bought, or did you get even? you know, part-time jobs at some point? Yeah, I I definitely had part-time jobs. So when I was 12, my nana actually got me my first job. She she would go to the regular hairdresser and they needed someone to come and sweep the floors and answer the phones. And I got that job in my third form year, year nine. And I did that right through until year 12 till sixth form. And actually at the time they offered me an apprenticeship. Wow. And uh, it wasn't what I wanted to do, but I loved it. And I would do late nights. Um, I remember how much I got paid. It was $5.50 an hour. Yep. And then, of course, you get taxed on that. So that yeah, wasn't, that yeah, wasn't yeah. in the hand. Um, but I loved seeing the money go into my bank account. And if there were ever any extra hours, you know, I'd work till 8 o'clock at night um, every Thursday, I would do it. And if I wasn't playing sport on a Saturday, I'd do the 9 to 12 shift as well. Um, in later years, I then ended up coaching cricket. That was my yeah. part-time job when I was at university. And that was amazing because I got $15 an hour to coach yeah. cricket and they paid for your petrol. So every summer holidays, I would work all summer coaching kids in schools and in holiday programs so that I could fund, um, a, have a bit of money to go back to university with. Yeah, that's great. I mean, and, and as, as you were doing the part-time job, were you a, a saver? Were you saving for things or did it all just go? Unfortunately, I'm a spender. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Um, I have saved in the past. I think what I am is, and my husband's very similar, when we have an automatic going payment going out that goes to save or to our mortgage we're great if that money's sitting in the account it's gone right so you've got to be disciplined to yes yep. it has to be going out automatically so I cannot see it otherwise it is uh, it is spent okay so so yeah you you um from from what I've seen headed off to, to university in Lincoln is that right yes uh, so you know those sort of career choices was was money a factor in in the I mean you've ended up Doing starting out in journalism, so I'm yeah. guessing not so much. But <laughs> yeah, actually, the the financial side of university was a factor for me yeah. because I got a scholarship to go to university to play cricket. Right, and so it was through the sporting. Yes, and that dictated where yeah. I ended up going. So I always had in the back of my mind that journalism was something I wanted to do, but I had this opportunity to go to Lincoln and get my fees paid. Yeah. Uh, so that was fifteen to twenty thousand dollars worth of yeah, fees. That's great. And it was an opportunity that you just couldn't pass up. Yeah. So so, and it, I was going to Lincoln where the high performance centre was. So financials were definitely a motivation um, to not have as big a student loan at the end of it. And initially I was worried because I couldn't do journalism there, but they did have a commerce degree. Yep. And that's what I ended up doing. Oh, right. yep. And then I did my postgraduate in journalism after that. Um, yep. But to have your fees paid now and, and through the years when I've looked at my friends who didn't have them paid, yeah, it's just yeah. such an advantage when you get into the working world and you pay off that loan quicker. Yeah. And I mean, did you have a choice to make around sport? I mean, nowadays there's probably more of a, um, a 
pathway for women in, in cricket and, and obviously rugby. But in those days, it was not going to be um, no. a, 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 a vi- particularly viable career choice. Yeah, so I remember how much we were paid and it was only for incidentals. So when I was playing for the Central District Hines, which now I assume they get paid a lot more, uh, where you'd get $30 a day for your incidentals wow. while you're away. And that was definitely influenced me because I knew that if I kept playing cricket, and I did, I ended up playing for New Zealand A against Australia, but there was no career option. And I I was very um, aware that I, I wanted to make good money. That was that was a motivation for me. Yeah. I wanted to be able to um, do the things I wanted to do in life. And it probably did deter me a wee bit. I think if I'd had a carrot of being able to earn some good money with yeah. cricket, I might have followed it a bit stronger. Yeah, yeah, that's right. The pathways now to, um, you know, clubs, India, all that kind of stuff, uh, are probably oh. more opportunity. I actually think that with athletes in general, when I think of the generations of, you know, the Dion Nash generation of cricket, they yep. didn't get all the IPL opportunities that our cricketers now get. Yeah. And it's a shame because they were just born in the wrong era. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, and then the other one, I guess, is if you've done a commerce degree um, and there's a pathway to, um, uh, I guess, you know, you, you can follow that through to a fairly uh, lucrative career, um, but then to, to jump into journalism um, is, is, is usually going to be um, earning not great money to start out at least in journalism. Yeah, I was just following my passion when I went yeah. into journalism, um, particularly the sporting side of things. Yeah. I, I went into it thinking I want to be a sports reporter. I had the sporty background and I was. I was a sports reporter for eight years for One News, um, ended up crossing over um, with your brother actually at times yes. yeah. um, on breakfast TV and I ended up doing more journalism general news um and I, I found a, and in the early days, you don't get paid much at all. I remember when I first started as an intern at TVNZ, I was earning 25000 Yeah. And it was hard to live. there's a lot of people who want to get in and they know yep. that. And, uh, yep. Yeah. And it does. It takes you a long, long time to move up the ranks. And I remember being quite shocked at how um, how little reporters got paid, thinking, oh, didn't realise that. <laughs> um, but it was it was my passion and that's what I wanted to do. And I, I always had in the back of my mind, if this journalism thing doesn't work out because so many people want to do it I've got the commerce degree behind me Sure, What? and just, this is probably my, my personal interest, but what part of, what sort of commerce did you do? Did you... I did marketing Right, yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. So, so I, I, I majored in marketing and management. Yep, yep. Yeah. so you could sell some stuff if you need to. Yep When when you got to a point, I mean, well, there's two two things here. I mean, I should should really ask this first. What 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 was the poorest you would say you've ever been in in that process? The poorest I've ever been was definitely at university, and I remember the days um, flatting in Christchurch where you would literally put five dollars in your car with petrol because. Yeah that's all you had. To get where you just had to go and yeah. come back. Yeah, <laughs> and the problem with living in Christchurch was Lincoln University was a 30-minute drive. Yeah. So you actually had to spend quite a bit on petrol. And I do remember there was the odd day where we were like, we're just gonna, not going to go to lectures because we're not sure if the car's going to make it. Wow, yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I flattered with uh, six girls at uni and we, were, we weren't we were great at money management. <laughs> yeah. None of us were. Yeah. So we were always living week to week and there was a lot of wheat books eaten in our flat. Yeah, I bet. And look, and, and when you finally got the career going, is it, you know, is there a, was there sort of a, a time when you suddenly felt you could splash out? And the question, I guess, is what what's the most indulgent purchase yeah. that you've, you've made? It's really funny because I remember thinking um, myself, it was always, if I could get to six figures one day, um, I would have made it, you know, like it was always, you know, everyone, I kind of, that $100,000 seemed to be yeah. the, the absolute beacon of hope. And as you go through... I feel like every time I made a jump in salary, and 
to be honest, I still feel like that. Um, there just seems to be more expenses. Yeah, yeah. And I know I've got three children, so kids come along yeah. and then mortgage I'm, in Auckland. Mortgage in <laughs> Auckland. Um and I, I, I should feel like I have more money than I do. And I feel like I felt like that the, the entire way through. And that's why they say, um, you know, people that end up getting rich aren't necessarily people with good salaries. They're people who are, who are good with their money and manage it well. Yeah, that's right. Um, so probably the most indulgent purchase I've made would absolutely just be the houses that we've bought. Yep. And when I say indulgent, they just, they're eye-watering. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Never thought in a million years, you know, I'd have a mortgage the way I do. Um, but I, I, I do love the house and I put a big, I put a big emphasis on having a, a nice house that I feel comfortable in, um, work ridiculous hours, so sleep's important, so... Um, yeah, that would be, I, I don't spend money on cars, flashy yep. cars. Um, I don't have, I've got a f- colleague of mine, Sam Wallace, who he's a big car man yep. and he's like, what's your dream That's car? That's going to soak up some money. Yeah. yeah. And I think I actually, you know, I do, cars are great, but I don't, if I was, if I had money, it, I wouldn't be spending it on a car. I think it gets you from A to B. And we never had new cars as kids. They were always secondhand. Yeah. And yeah. so I don't see the point in buying new, really. No, we just have to have enough room in the car for the kids and, and their friends. So oh, Don't even talk to me. People. I have a Kia Carnival, yeah. a big eight-seater. It's pretty much a van. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, that's probably a good segue to, to a, a new Money Talks question I've got, which I'm pretty excited about. Um, and and, and it, it goes to how much, I guess, you could use money or love money. or But it, it, the idea is um, when you dream about winning lotto, uh, assuming you do, um, how much do you dream about winning? <laughs> yeah, it's a really good question because... I definitely get more excited when I see, you know, it's a $15 million draw because I'm not a regular lotto buyer. But when I see a big draw like a 15 or a 20 mil, I go, oh, I better get a ticket thinking, oh, you know, because – when in reality, if the draw was $5 million, I'd be really excited yeah, by that. Yeah. Um, but when I think, oh, if I could just win lotto, I, my mind probably goes instantly to $5 million. Yeah. And I don't know why that is, but I think, um, you know, and you talk, we talk about it. If we won lotto, what would we do? Um, I'd want to pay off my mortgage, um, maybe go on a, on a big trip probably get a new car and be able to have funds for my kids so that I could pay for their education. And these days in Auckland, it's quite hard to get a house. You know, you're looking yeah, at one yep. to one and a half million minimum. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, suddenly uh, winning one million doesn't actually go as far as what it used to. Yeah, that's right. So I, I mean, think five would be a good spot. Yeah, I, the, I mean, I guess I, I, I'm interested in the question because it, once you get up around 15 million or, or, or even more than that, you start to think, well, that would really upend your life, wouldn't it? Oh, and, and, and you hear, hear these stories of people who win too much money and yep. end up ruining their lives. And it, it also brings a lot of problems with it. So I think if that was me, I would really try and keep it quiet if I won, um, just for your own sanity. And particularly, I think, if you're in the public eye and people yeah, knew you were, yeah, that would right. be a whole other realm yeah. of problems. <laughs> yes. Um, okay, I've got a, a, some of our e- economic questions. Um, you know, the idea of financial inequality um, and what do you think causes that in the world? And I guess, um, you know, how, how do you how do you view that? I guess that's a political question, isn't it? Yeah. What causes inequality? Yeah. I think we, we don't have an even distribution of wealth, and I think we've seen that in the news very, very recently here yeah. in New Zealand. Um, I think people are – I think it's twofold. I think people need help. People need help, and it's not necessarily just financial help, and I'm a big believer in that and em- empowering people so that they can actually help themselves because I think – 
you've got to have a desire to want to be successful. And if you're so low yeah. that you've completely lost that desire to help yourself, I think there's no helping you. Even if you yeah. give you money, yeah. you're just going to wash it all down the drain because you don't have that desire for a better life. And yeah. I think yeah. that's where our money should be spent. And I think that's what we need to, how we address the problems that we do have. Um, in saying that, I think there is definitely um, a section of society that thinks I need to look after my family and that's it. Yep. And I think, you know, the world would be a better place if we looked further afield than that. If we looked further afield at the people who are next to us, our neighbours, perhaps the people who are in your sports teams, who are down the street. And I, I don't think everyone has that attitude. And I think maybe to today's world is um, every man for himself. It's and just I, got a little bit harsher. Yeah, yeah, it's got a bit harsher. And I, I, I think people think, oh, it's a handout when actually handouts probably to me aren't the way forward. It's, it's the empowering so people can help themselves and then everyone benefits from that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if if you were to suddenly um, be in political power, is there a policy or something like that that you would you would put top of the pile? Oh, gosh, it, it's it's re- it's a really hard one. I do. I'm a big believer in food in schools. Yeah. Um, because I I have a strong feel, feeling that you know kids who are put into families where they have no choice, it's not their fault. But I also think I would probably put my attention towards empowering parents because, no, that kid doesn't have a lot of chance if their parents aren't going to be helping them. And at the moment, I feel like the ownership has gone off the parents. It's gone on to everyone else to try and fix the problem. And I think if you can help parents to be able to help themselves and their children, that's the best way forward. So that's probably where I would target it if I was in charge, yeah, is towards sure. empowering parents more. Okay, and so look, just just looking forward, what what's next for Tony Street? What are you what are you working on at the moment? Uh, what what's coming up? Um, I actually have a couple of things. So I have a podcast too, not about money, um, about wellness. Yeah. So it's called We Need to Talk, and just like you, you can get it on iHeartRadio and it explores wellness. And the reason um, I decided to do it is I've had a few health issues myself. I've got an autoimmune condition that's chronic, and then I've been managing since I um, started having children ten years ago. Um, we explore all sorts of things: um, the state of our healthcare yeah. system, um, where to get help, how to stay fit and active, control your weight. And I'm really, really enjoying that. And actually, it was launched just post-COVID when a lot of people had illness anxiety, yeah, a yeah, fear yeah. of getting COVID, a fear that it was going to come back. Um, so I'm really, really enjoying that. And the other thing is I've just launched a book club. Oh, cool. It's called Tony's Book Club. And I'm reviewing a book every month. And we give away a whole heap of copies on my radio show, Coast Breakfast. Um I'm just trying to find time to actually get the reading in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right. That's and, the habit. And the thing is, I'm I'm t- I'm reading a whole variety of books. I'll probably delve into the money sphere at some stage. The last one I just read seems random, and I wouldn't have picked them, this off the shelf. And that was Paris Hilton's book. Oh wow! And I'm not particularly interested in Paris Hilton, but the camp that she was sent by her very rich, very wealthy parents um, has caused a lot of issues in their family and it's resulted in a lot of um, high court charges for the people that were abusive in that care. So it's actually a wider story yeah, more mean, about and that. A, and, a, and a biography or an autobiography is really, it's down to how honest and, and, yes. and truthful and all that sort of yeah, thing, and isn't it? that was the catalyst for this book and it's, it's really interesting. Look, thanks, Tony. Look, we're going to wrap it up there. Um just want to say again, thank you very much for coming and joining us on Money Talks. Pleasure, and I will endeavour to try and be more of a saver than a spender because I feel like I'm failing at the moment. <laughs> you will be fine. Cheers. And thank you for listening. If you've got feedback, drop me a line, liam.dan at nzme.co.nz. Thanks to my producer, Ethan Sills, and our editor, Leanne MacDonald. 
Follow Money Talks on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. Catch you again next week.